Right, this is our 10th uh, dive shear on Masachat Balakam, although uh, a couple of them have been on different topics because of calendar. Uh, and we're now going to take a look. This will be a two-part uh, shiur on the topic of Edim Zomamim, conspiring witnesses. Uh, and that is because of the Mishnah that we'll take a look at momentarily on the second page of the handout, the Mishnah, uh, which is source six, uh, that we have just encountered in our study of the Daf, where the topic of Edim Zomamim and some of the particular nuances of Edim Zomamim impact on Tvicha uh, Mechira. All right, so here we go. Uh, <coughs> first of all, the first source is something that we're all too familiar with now as a result of our involvement in Masa, in uh, Perak Mirubet, which is all about Tvicha Umechira. And so we're familiar with the halacha that uh, Gneva brings about a knas of Kefel, and Tvicha Umechira, meaning slaughtering the animal or selling it, essentially making it irretrievable, irreturnable. Uh, carries with it an extra fine of a not double, but rather either five or fourfold payment for the animal, depending which kind of animal it is. The passage that I'd like to focus on, though, is uh, is the second uh, source, which is the parsha of Edim Zomim, uh, which is in Parshat Shoftim. One person may not stand up against another. In other words, to testify about him, which will impact an, on him. You need two or three witnesses. The Mishnah in Makot famously says, once the Torah demands two, then clearly three should be valid. It's there to, rather, it's there to tell you that three witnesses are the same as two, insofar as, for instance, if there are three witnesses and one of them proves to be invalid, it invalidates the whole group, just as if there were two and one proved to be invalid, because you're only left with one. And the impact on edima zomim also is that um, if the it, in order to generate the rule of edima zomim, and this impacts on our sugya, not on what we're talking about tonight, but just to, to share it, uh, that if one of the edim is muzam, that it does not generate edima zomim. You have to be mazim the entire group. Okay. Uh, now, if a a violent witness, an ill-meaning witness, however you want to translate Hamas, uh, but it's certainly a lying witness, stands up to create trouble for him. Uh, literally to, to testify something about something that is deviant. Now this is strange because we've shifted from one witness, uh, which we're going to comment on in a moment, and then the two litigants. So let's go back to Eid Hamas. We just said in Pasuk Tadvav that one witness can't really do anything in court. It's not really true, but for our purposes, it's, it's, he can't conclude anything, and his word alone will not carry enough weight to, to cre- create action by the court. Um, and then we said, Hamas bi'ish, if a, a violent and aggressive, uh, willful uh, witness stands up, etc., so how could that be? And the answer is that we have here what's called a binyan av. It's a sugya at the beginning of Masachat Sotah, that because we said, that means every time it says the word aid, it actually means two. Aid now means a dyad of edim, a team of edim, and uh, unless the unless the Torah specifies um, that there isn't, uh, that, that it means one. Uh, famous thing, veid ein bav, pasa in sotah. So now, here we're going to read that there is a team of Edim who are trying to hurt somebody. So the litigants now come up. And now, and this is vital for what we're going to do. The judges do a serious inquiry. It turns out that this aid, in other words, this team of Edim, are liars. They have testified falsely about a fellow Jew. What's the consequence? We have to do to him what he conspired to do to his fellow. And we extirpate the evil from our midst. And then the Parsha goes on with a classic Sefer Dvarim conclusion in the context of the court that everybody should see the punishment, nobody will do it again, then the deterrent factor. Um, we'll come back to source three in a, in a moment, but I want to take a look with you at the Mishnah, uh, really three Mishnayot in the first parak of Makot, uh, parenthetically Masachat Makot, which is really 
according to Tosfot. Another Rishonim really is the tail end of Masachat Sanhedrin. Uh, is made up of three parakim, and each parak has its own content. The first parak is about Edim Zomim and about Edut in general. The second parak is about Arei Miklat, and the third is really about Makot, both which crimes uh, the punishment is Makot, for which crimes the punishment is Makot, and how Makot is uh, is uh, given, how the execution of Makot, etc. Uh, so in this, the in the first parak of Makot, in the middle of the parak, Ein Haidim Nasim Zomim, Ad Shiyazamu et Atzman. All right, which we're going to see what that means. But Edim Zomim can only become classified as Edim Zomim when they actually are Mazim themselves. What does that mean? Ketzad. We'll see an example. Amru. Let's say that they say, Medin Anu Edish Ploni Sharagata Nefesh. So I'm going to use some names here just as an example. Reuven and Shimon come and testify that Mike killed Bob. All right, Mike killed Bob on January 1st at the Rose Parade. Amrulahen. Right? And now, Levi and Yehuda show up and say, Hey, ach atem how can you, Reuven and Shimon, testify that Mike killed Bob on January 1st at the Rose Parade? Shari neharag zeh either Mike or Bob, hayayimano toayom makomploni, was with us in Manhattan the same day. Ein elu zomim. Reuven and Shimon are not considered zomim, because what do we have here? We have conflicting testimony where Reuven and Shimon are testifying that Mike and Bob interacted in a in a in a fatal way in Pasadena on January 1st and Levin Yuda give different testimony that either Mike or Bob or both of them were in Manhattan that day we just have conflicting testimony aval here so that's not Adam Zombie Amrulan, but if Levi and Yehuda come and say, "Hey, how can you and Reuven and Shimon testify that Mike killed Bob at the Rose Parade?" You, Reuven and Shimon, you were with us, Levin Yehuda, in Cancun on January 1st. Now Reuven and Shimon are zomin, and Reuven and Shimon are killed based on the testimony of Levin Yehuda. Why are they killed? Because they were trying to get Mike killed as a murderer. In other words, their cons- conspiracy was to get Mike killed by testifying falsely that Mike killed Bob. By the way, Mike may have killed Bob, but they weren't there. And so therefore, they're conspiring witnesses, and we carry out the sentence. Now, this process can continue. Yisachar and Zvulun come along and say to Levi and how can you testify that they're with you in Cancun January 1st? You were with us in the Austrian Alps on January 1st. The process can continue, and Rabbi Yudah says, Istasis, or Istatis, different Gersaot, Hizum, this is really a uh, a um, uh, sort of a standard set that they can only get to the first cut. We're not going to concern ourselves with ecstasies, etc. We'll save that for Makot. But this last piece is also of interest, not vital interest for our sugya, but we want to see it. And by the way, there are components of this that really are vital for our sugya. Edim Zomim are not killed or in any way have the sentence carried out on them until there's already a conviction or a, 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 a sentencing or a ruling of the court. In other words, if two guys come and say, uh, Mike killed Bob on January 1st, and while the court's deliberating over their testimony, Levin Yehuda show up and say, you're with us, they're not Edim Zomim yet. If the court, on the other hand, goes ahead and has Mike executed as a murderer and then leaving you to show up, here we go. Shariat Sadokim Omrim, the Sadducees have the following position, Ad Shiareg, meaning that uh, Reuven and Shimon can only be killed if they effect, if they successfully had Mike executed and then were proven to be liars. Because if you look at the end of the first of the second passage on the page, the one about Edim Zomin, in the in the print that's a little bit smaller, you see that it uses the phrase Nefesh Benefesh, a life for a life. We're familiar with that, Lex Talionis, starting in Parshat Mishpatim. Amrulan Chachamim, so Chachamim said to the Tzadukim, After all, the punishment is delineated as follows. You shall do to him, the Hainu, the, the Edim Zomim, what he, what they conspired to do to their fellow, meaning the sentence, the sense of the pasuk is they tried to get this done, but they weren't successful, and now we cut them off at the pass, which means we only 
act on it if they didn't successfully get the guy killed, but only if there was already a Gemar Din. So they now have to answer for the end of the parsha Nefesh Tachat Nefesh, because maybe they could be killed any point from uh, after they have given their testimony. And the case that I gave before. And the answer is, meaning, which means, and now become uh, uh, opposite poles of tension of how far this case has to go and the compromise, as it were. The middle ground is, it goes as far as a sentence being passed, as a conviction being passed, but not carried out, not the sentence carried out. Okay, that's the background. Now, there's, as you see at the bottom of page one, there is a paragraph from Perusha Mishnah Rambam, which I'm saving for a little later, because it is, it's gorgeous, it's fantastic, it's elegant, it's going to help us a lot, but let's first get ourselves a little bit into the quagmire, and then we'll pull on that to get out. Our Mishnah, Ganav this is source six on page two, uh, so if a person stole, and there's two witnesses that say he stole, and those same two witnesses say he also killed or sold, and those two witnesses turn out to be Edim Zomim, they, Reuven and Shimon, said, Mike stole Bob's ox and killed it. Or maybe Mike stole Bob's ox and then came later and said they killed it. We'll have to talk about that. Uh, and it turns out they're Edim Zomim. They pay Mike the whole five, meaning let's say the ox was worth $10,000, they pay Mike $50,000 because that's what they were trying to make him owe to Bob. Now, let's say Reuven and Shimon testify that Mike stole the animal, and Levi and Yehuda testify that Mike killed the animal or sold it. Let's say that they are all found, all four of them are found to be in Zomim, there's two separate shots. Reuben and Shimon have to pay $20,000, again our scenario, an ox worth 10, to Mike. And Levin, you'd have to pay him $30,000 because added on to the kefel that that uh, Reuben and Shimon would have made him liable for, Levin, you'd have were adding on another 30000 to the payment. So that's what they owe him. But let's say that Levin, you'd are found to be zomim. Mike still has to pay Tashlumi Kefal because Reuven and Shimon are in the clear and their testimony is good. But the Levin Yudah have to pay 30000 to Mike. We talked about this a bit earlier. If one of the second witnesses, Levi, let's say, is proved to be Zomem, in other words, Yisachar and Zvulun show up and say, Levi, you were, you know, we don't know you at all, but Levi, you were with us somewhere else at the time. But the second testimony falls apart. There is no liability to anybody for the 30000 And all that happens is Mike has to pay Bob 20000 because there's testimony that he stole the animal. Let's say, on the other hand, Ruvain is proven to be an aid zomeim. And again, Shimon, we don't know about Shimon. But Levin, you to come around and say, Reuven was with us at the golf course in uh, Costa Rica on that day. Then, the entire edut falls apart, meaning there's no liability to anybody for anything. Why? Remember, only follow Geneva. So if we have we have disembodied the testimony of of uh, of Geneva, uh, then the fall down. Okay, and now you can see in the Tosefta, which immediately follows it on the page, the parallel Tosefta, something very similar. We'll take a look at the nuances. So two guys testify that Mike stole. And Levin Yehuda testify that he killed the animal, or sold it. So let's say that Levin Yehuda are proven to be Edim Zomim, and we still don't understand why Edim Zomim works the way it does. We're going to get to that. But remember, Edim Zomim means that two other witnesses come and testify, not that the facts of the case are wrong, but that the fact of the testimony is impossible. Right? Now, whom is Shalem Tashlumi Kefel? Mike still has to pay Kefel to Bob. And Levi and Yudah pay what evidently means the remainder towards Arba Chamisha, just like we saw in the Mishnah. Nimtsu Zomamin, 
let's say that the first Adim, they're all Zomin, who patur? Mike's off the hook. There's no good testimony that he did anything wrong. The first group has to pay kefal to Mike. That's the pasuk. Now, right. So now, two guys testify testify about both things. Ruben and Shimon testify about Geneva and Tvicha. And it turns out they're about the Tvicha. Now, how does that work? So we're going to see this in the Gemara, but just as uh, as jutting ahead is let's say that Reuben and Shimon come and testify that we saw him in in uh, in at, in Pasadena on January 1st stealing the animal and uh, then we saw him later that after that evening killing the animal in a schlacht house in Pasadena and Levin Yuda come along and say we don't know where you were January 1st in the morning but January 1st in the evening you were at a seum with us in uh, in San Diego which means now there's only hazama on the second part of their testimony. So now, um, Mike still has to pay kefel because the part of their testimony about the theft has not been broken. But Levin, you'd have to pay Mike the 30000 as it were. And Rabbi Yossi puts a little bit of a twist in this. When does this happen? That's if... Ruven and Shimon came and testified as two separate testimonies, one about Kneva and one about Tvicha. Let's say it's all one big edut that they give. So that means if Ruven and Shimon come and say, we saw him on the morning of January 1st stealing the animal, and we saw him that evening killing the animal, and then leaving you to come along and say, we don't know where you were that morning, but that evening you were with us elsewhere. Then Rabbi Yossi says that testimony now has fallen apart because part of it has fallen apart. Now, what's interesting here is we typically take that line, in reference to people, meaning if one person in the, in the group of witnesses becomes invalid, the whole thing falls apart. Here, though, it's about information or about hazama. Since there's hazama on part of the testimony, the whole thing, which is linked together as one testimony, falls apart. And therefore, there's nothing here at all. Now, right, so now, let's say that these guys turn out to be Now, he's patur for paying for the tficha, for the and now you have a strange line. They pay kefel. Now, really, he's going to be paying kefel because they have test, there's proper testimony about the geneva. So now, but if there is uh, if they're zomin on the whole thing, then they are chayav, and they have to pay, of course, the 50000 That's where the pasuk comes. Okay, that's the background. Now, I'd like to take a look at this most delightful sugya, and in the middle of it, we're going to go back to the Rambam and talk more globally and more in a, in a sort of meta-halachic way about edim zomim and how they work uh, and how that impacts on us. But let's start with this. Itmar. Eid Zomem, the status of an Eid Zomem, meaning again, Eid Zomem, Abaye Amar Lemafreya Hunifsal. Abaye's position is that an Eid Zomem becomes invalid as a witness, uh, untrustworthy, rejected testimony, retroactively. Retroactively, we assume means, and now we'll put some dates on it, Reuven and Shimon came and testified on January 15th, then on January 1st, Mike uh, killed Bob. On January 29th, while the court's still deliberating on it, or make it easier, January 20th, court's still deliberating on it, um, leaving you to come in and say, you were with us in South America on January 1st. Now, what happens to any testimony that that Ruven and Shimon might have, might have been part of between January 15th and January 20th? Abaye says it's invalid. We'll see why. Rava Amar Rava says no, that the that Ruven and Shimon are only invalid from January 20th and on, meaning only from the point that it's determined that they are Adim Zomim and not retroactively. Now, let's see what's behind that. Mehu Shata Da Asid Rasha. 
Because let's think about, think about it. From the moment that Ruben and Shimon opened their mouths and said a lie, said we were there and we saw it, it turns out they weren't there, they are Rishayim. They're lying in court. That's a Rasha. That's the third passage on page one. Al-Tashit Rasha Eid Hamas. You are not allowed to support or enable a Rasha as an aid. A Rasha can't be an aid. So therefore, any that therefore, the minute they open their mouths, we now recognize retroactively they were Rishaim from that moment on, and therefore any testimony that they were involved with, started signing a star, whatever it might be, from that moment on is invalid. Right? Rava What's Rava's position? He says something interesting. Eid Zomeim Chidushu. The whole notion of Eidim Zomim is counterintuitive. It is not what we would expect. Why? Think about it. You have essentially two sets of witnesses countering each other. And now, my Chazit Tzayit Lahani, Tzayit Lahani, why are you believing Levi and Yudu, believe Ruben and Shimon? Let's play it out again. Ruben and Shimon say, we were at the Rose Parade on January 1st, we saw Michael Bob. Leaving you to come and say, we don't know what happened to Mike, we don't know what happened to Bob, but you, Reuven and Shimon, you were with us on a cruise off the coast of Australia on January 1st. So one way to look at it is that we have a frontal confrontation and dispute between Leaving you on one side, Reuven and Shimon on the other side, on the whereabouts of Reuven and Shimon on that day. Reuven and Shimon say they were in one place, Leaving say they were in a different place. So the question is, why are we believing Leaving Yudah? The fact is we do. The fact is the Torah says we accept the mizimim, leaving Yudah, and we act to the point of execution on the zomimim. But Rabbah's position is, nonetheless, that's counterintuitive. It's a chidush. It's an innovation of the Torah. Hilkach, ein bo el chidush vayelach. We can only uh, act upon this new status from the point of the chidush, which is, when we declare them to be Zomim, and not retroactively. That's position one of Rava, which means that Rava has an essentialist disagreement with Abaye upon the nature of Edim Zomim. Is Edim Zomim something which is a standard identification of somebody as an invalid witness, and therefore from the moment they testified falsely, they're invalid? Or is it some sort of a strange halakha that we can only adopt from the moment that it kicks in, which is when they are rendered and identified as Edim Zomim. That's position one. Ikadamri, there's another position on Rava. We all agree what Rava's practical position was. They only become invalid from the moment of identif- identifying them as Edim Zomim. However, there may be a different thing behind it. Rava Nami Kabayasvirle. So there's another position is that Rava, on an essentialist level, agrees with Abaye. That really it should be retroactive. Same reasoning. And so why does Rava say, but in practice will only inv- invalidate them from the moment they were identified as Edim Zomim and not retroactively? Because it's unfair to people who didn't know anything about them being Edim Zomim and use them as Edim for some sort of a transaction and now they're going to lose. So let's say that I sold some land three days after Reuven and Shimon appeared in court, and I got a very good deal on this. I, I got a very good deal. I was able to sell it very high, and uh, and the fellow who bought it was desperate, whatever it is, paid a good price, and Reuven and Shimon were the witnesses. I had no idea that there was a problem. A week later, the bait team announces that back on uh, a few days ago, they testified falsely, and now everything they testified to is invalid. Now I'm going to lose out on my sale. And that's not fair to me. So that Rava here agrees in essence with Abaye and in, and in abstract theory with Abaye. However, in practice, he says, we can't allow their invalidity to be dated back to when they testified because it's unfair to people who use them as witnesses and don't know. Now, my Benayu, what would be the difference between the two versions of this, uh, of, this of Rava's position? If instead of Levin Yehuda coming and saying, Reuven and Shimon, you were with us, if it was Levin Yehuda saying, Reuven, you were with us, I don't know about Shimon, I never saw Shimon, and Yisachar and Zvulun show up and say, Shimon, you were with us, we don't know Reuven, then we no longer have a chidush, we no longer have something strange that we wouldn't expect, 
because we have two witnesses testifying about one guy. Reuben says, I was here, and Levi and Yuda say, no, you weren't, you were somewhere else. Of course we're going to believe the two. So, so then Rava, if we accept the first version of Rava, which is that Rava believes essentially that their, their invalidity can only start after they're identified as Adim Zomim, because the whole idea of Adim Zomim is so odd and unusual, that wouldn't apply here. And here he would agree with Abaye that we would backdate it. But if you take the other position that Rava essentially agrees with the Baye, but is concerned about the fairness to other people and making and they're making their deals and using them as Adim, then we would still say it's invalid. Now Avad Rav Papa Ovda Kavate de Rava. Now Rav Papa, remember, was the prize student of Rava. Rav Papa and Rav Hunda were the prize students of Rava. Rav Papa became the the, the, the Dayan in his town, in Nersh, and therefore the head of the Beitin, and therefore he actually ruled that way and and practiced like Rava, so that he only rendered the Eid Zomem invalid from the moment that, going back to when we made him invalid and not retroactively. How Rav Papa had a case of Eid Zomem itself is a little bit of a problem, the nature of Batei Din and Chutzlarts, etc. We'll leave that alone. Rav Ashiyamar, nonetheless... We rule like Abaye. And now, a much later comment of the Gemara, from, like, evidently from the times of the Svuraim, or maybe the Gonim. The famous piece shows up in at least six places in Shas, that there are six disputes between Abaye and Rava. I'll clarify what that means. Six frontal and direct disputes between Abaye and Rava in which we rule like Abaye. In all every other case, we rule like Rava. Now, what I mean by direct and frontal is where Abaye and Rava are the first ones to generate this dispute, and they take opposite positions, as opposed to Abaye, let's say, ruling like Rabbi Yehuda and, and Rava ruling over Shimon about Muktza, or Abaye ruling like Rabbi Gamliel and Rava ruling like Rabbi Yeshua about Tfilat Avit Rashut, etc. That's a whole different story. But when it's their own machloket, there's six places where we rule like Abaye, every other place we rule like Rava. What are the six places? Ya'al Kigam. What's Ya'al Kigam? Ya'al Yod is Yeush Shalomidat, whether that's Yeush. Ayin is Eid Zomem, our case. Lamed is Lechi. Where, where does the Lechi uh, that bounds the Mavui on Shabbat, at what point does it come down and create the boundary, the imaginary boundary? Kiddushin, Kuf, Kiddushin Shalonim Sur Lebiar, the Valley Kiddushin, a Sugyan Kiddushin Dafnon. Gimel is Gilui Milta Begita. It's a lovely case in uh, the fourth parak of, uh, of Gitin. If uh, somebody sends a Shaliach, to bring a get to his wife. And the wife is working, her hands are dirty, and she says to the shaliach, I can't take it now, I'll come back tomorrow. And the shaliach comes back to the husband and says, I tried to deliver it to her, but she wouldn't take it, I have to come back tomorrow. And the husband says, oh, thank God. How do we interpret that? Do we interpret that as being, he's canceling the shlichut? Or do we interpret that, do we not let that interpretation be so, carry so much weight, that machloket? And then mem is mumar, the teovon, uh, whether the status of the shechit of a mumer l'teavon. Okay, that's the three six places, and we pass like a baye in all of them. And ayin is our case. Eid zomem l'mafreya hu nifsal. Question is whether or not that's going to carry through all the way. We're going to test it now against our mishnah. Tanan ganav al pishnaim v'tavachu machar al pihem v'imtzu zomemin mishalmin etakol. We have our mishnah which is that you have Reuven and Shimon testifying to both Gneva and Tvicha Mechira, and then it turns out that there's Omin. They have to pay the 50, again, $10,000 ox, we're going to say, $50,000 to the guy that they testified about, Mikey stole and killed Bob's ox. Now, my love, Sheidu Allah Gneva, V'chazur Tvicha, we assume, and I suggested this when reading through the Mishnah, we assume that uh, Ruvain and Shimon came and testified about Mike stealing, and then came separately and testified about Mike killing. Then, of course, they have to do set, to be two separate hazamot, because somebody has to say, "Oh, you're testifying that in the morning on January first he stole the animal while you were with us somewhere else," and then they said, "Oh, and the two days later we saw him kill." 
the animal. So he has to say, two days later, you're with us somewhere else. So we assume it's two separate hazamot, because no reason to assume either of these things. But if you accept Abayi's position that the that the invalidity of an Eid Zomem goes back to when he first testified, then think about how this plays out. Hani, Reuven and Shimon, think about it. Levin Yehuda came and said, Reuven and Shimon, you're with us when you said he stole. Now, remember, according to Abayi, that means that we're going to roll back and say that from the minute that they finished opening their mouths about the testimony, the first testimony, which we now know is Muzemet, they're invalid. So we now know retroactively when they came, they gave the second testimony about slaughtering the animal, they were already pasul, which means their testimony wasn't real testimony. Let's say as an example, two guys were to walk into court. We don't know who they are, but we assume and they, uh, and they give testimony. And the names are Chaim and Moshe. And they give testimony. I'm taking them off the Ruin Shimon track for a reason. You'll see. Chaim and Moshe come and give testimony in court about something happening. Yeah, Mike killed Bob, right? And then Yisach um, and uh, Zvulun come in and said, Chaim and Moshe, you were with us at the time. All right, so now we're ready to kill Chaim and Moshe's Adim Zomim. And now uh, Don and Naftali walk in and say, wait a second, Chaim, you're not Chaim, you're Chris. Moshe, you're Matthew. Turns out these guys aren't even Jewish. They're masquerading. Things have happened like that. What do we do now? So very simply what we do is we say, the testimony was never testimony. These people are not valid witnesses, which means they're not even Zomim because they weren't Adim. And there's just nothing here. So now we're going to do that on a smaller level if we take Abaye part, which is Abaye says the Mafreya Hunifsal. And so Reuven and Shimon came in and said on January 15th, they came and said on January 1st, Mike stole the animal. And then they came in on January 16th and said, on January 3rd, Mike killed the animal. And then Levi and Yehuda walk in and say, wait a second, on January 3rd, you were with us somewhere else. Right? Which, uh, Sorry, on January 1st, you were with us somewhere else, which means retroactively, if we accept Abaye, it turns out they weren't really valid witnesses. They were Rishayim when they came in on the 16th and gave their second testimony. Which means that even though somebody comes in, Sachar and Zvulun come in and testify that they were with them on January 3rd, it doesn't matter. Their whole testimony about January 3rd didn't mean anything. They shouldn't have to pay the extra $30,000. So Amri and the Beit Midrash, they explained it as follows, because it's actually a very strong question against Abaye, but we rule like Abaye. Hachab so we're going to create an Okimta. Here's what happened. Ruben and Shimon came in and said on, on January 15th, walked in and said on January 1st, we saw Mike steal Bob's animal in Pasadena. Then on the 16th, they come in and say, on January 3rd, we saw Mike kill Bob's animal in, on a barn in Pasadena. Okay? And then Yisachar and Zvulun walk in and say, we don't know where you were January 1st, but January 3rd, you were with us somewhere else, which means the first testimony that we've been mazim is their second testimony. Which means at this point, what do we say? The testimony about the Geneva is still valid. The guy still owes Kefal. But they owe 30000 to Mike for the second testimony. Now, Amri, Sof Sofki, Hadri, Mitzami, Geneva. But then when the next day, Don and Naftali walk in and say, but January 1st, you were with us. It, and the, you haven't solved anything by turning things around because... Finally, because we're talking about a case where, where Reuven and Shimon are Muzam on, on everything. So even if we want to say that they were two separate testimonies and that they were Muzam in reverse order, it still doesn't help because Now that Don and Naftali come and say, on January 1st you were with us, that now proves that already January, 1, January 15th, when they gave their first testimony about January 1st, they were already invalid witnesses, according to Abayi, which means on January 16th, when they gave the second testimony, it already wasn't testimony, and they still shouldn't have to pay for Tvicha Mechira. Amai Mishal Me'atvicha. V'hilchata, so what's the final solution? She'eidu bavat achat v'huzamu. 
And by the way, I think instinctively, that's what we figured happened, that they testified at one shot and the Hazama was at one shot. In other words, they came in on January 15th and said, on January 1st, we saw Mike steal Bob's animal and kill it. And then Reuven and Levin Yuda walk in and say, on January 1st, you were with us in London. Right? And so it's all one shot. Since it's all one shot, we no longer bifurcate their testimonies or separate them out. And therefore, this entire problem of the Mafreonif cell is not, uh, is not challenged with this. I want to go back, and really as kind of a concluding piece here, I want to go back and take a look at Rava's, the argument that the Gemara provided for Rava. Remember, important to note, there's a bit of a methodological point. Looking at the Gemara, uh, which is uh, source 8, how, what did Abaye actually say? The answer is, Abaye said, And Rava said, Right? That's all they said. Now, the rest of this is a reconstruction. Abaye didn't say these words, etc. But Abaye may have taught in that manner, and we're paraphrasing it, or it may be our own conjecture as to where Abaye is coming from. And the reason I say that is because you see within Rava, there's two distinct threads of why Rava says what he does. Either because he essentially disagrees with Abaye, because of the chidush aspect, because Eidin is such a strange halacha, or because of a practical consideration of the third party who's harmed as a result of not knowing that these Eidim are invalid in the meantime. Okay, so now we go back, and this notion that, that Rava, that is expressed on behalf of Rava, we'll say it that way, which is that Eidim Zomim Chidushu. If you think about it, this becomes now a, a much larger question. It's not a question of the Mafre or not, question of why indeed is Adim Zomim play out the way it does? Why do we believe Levi and Yudah and are willing to kill Reuven and Shimon when Levi and Yudah say that how can you testify that you saw Mike kill Bob at the Rose Parade on January 1st when you were with us in New York? Mapito, why are we believing Levi and Yudah and ignoring Reuven and Shimon? Reuven and Shimon, by the way, we assume are not saying, yeah, you caught us. They're saying, no, we were in Pasadena, you're lying. Why are we believing Levi and Yudah to that point? And the Gomorrah statement that Treu Treinu, that basically we have a standoff of two witnesses versus two witnesses. And what do we normally do when we have that? We call that hachasha, which means there's a denial that is the result, there's a, there's a lack of determination that's a result of two conflicting testimonies, frontally conflicting testimonies. And as a result of that, we don't know what to do, and basically we, we have no testimony. Here, on the other hand, we say, Levi and testimony is good as gold. Everyone and Shimon are, uh, are going to die. It's kind of strange. So we now turn to source five, which is on the first page, the bottom of the first page, which is Perush HaMishnayot of the Rambam. The Rambam, who wrote almost everything that he wrote in, um, in either in Arabic or in Judeo-Arabic, but basically in Arabic, um, and, uh, and the, the two exceptions are, of course, famously the Mishneh Torah, and then any letters that he wrote to communities that didn't speak Arabic. So, for instance, uh, when he wrote to the community in, uh, in Marseille, Oh, in Lunel, the famous letters that he wrote to Provence, he wrote them in Hebrew because they didn't speak Arabic there. The, interesting, he had a neighbor, sort of, a Dayan who escaped Provence and came to, escaped Spain and came to Egypt and became a Dayan in Alexandria, Pinchas uh, Dayan, but he didn't know Arabic, even though he lived in Alexandria. So the Rambam wrote to him in Hebrew. But the Rambam wrote the Morinuchim in Arabic, he wrote the Sefer Mitzvot in Arabic, he wrote most of his, many of his Chuvot in Arabic. Again, if it was, as long as it was a local population. Uh, the Parish of Shneot is something the Rambam started when he was 17 and completed when he was 30. And it, what he oversaw a translation, he didn't do it himself. The Tibonites did the first translation, and over time, the translations have gotten better. There are several recensions of the Perusha Mishnayot, and it is an elegant work as everything the Rambam touched was. The Rambam's comment on the Mishnah in Makot uh, that we, uh, that we uh, in earlier Mishnah, but a Mishnah about, about how Adim Zomim works, says the following. Amar, v'hinei eid sheker, he quotes the Pasuk, and by the way, just as an aside, 
the Rambam, as we know, did not write any comprehensive commentary on Tanakh, on any book in Tanakh. He did write uh, numerous commentaries, not in the sense of books, but comments, on passages in Tanakh, and they are chiefly found in the Mornavuchim, and there are there are um, passages in the Mishnah Torah and in other and in Sefer Mitzvot, in which he comments on particular psukim and shows his angle of parshanut of exegesis in it. In it, but he did not write a commentary. But here, but once in a while, you find a, a nugget. You will find a piece of parshanut in one of his halachic works. He quotes the pasuk and he says, "Amar v'nei after all, the Shoftim investigate and delve into it and identify that the aid is an aid sheker or the aidim, really. Velo amar edut sheker. Notice how carefully he reads it. He says the aid is an aid sheker, not that the edut. What's the difference? The fellow, the, the, the witnesses, are lying witnesses, not that the information is false. Meaning, the testimony of the second group, meaning Levi and Yehuda, in our case, has to be about Reuven and Shimon, not about Mike and Bob. Again, Reuven and Shimon come in and say, we saw Mike kill Bob on this particular day. Levi and Yehuda come and say, we don't know anything about Mike and Bob. Mike might have killed Bob. Bob might have killed Mike. They might be at Disneyland together. In the meantime, though, we know that you guys were with us that day somewhere else. So they're not testifying about Mike and Bob the facts of the case. They're testifying about the facts of the testimony. Right? If Levin Yudha disagreed about the facts of the case, then all we have is mutually denying testimony that knocks each other out. And there's just no edu. And there's no edu at all. If uh, if um, Reuven and Shimon say we saw Mike kill Bob on January first, and Levin you to come and say no, we saw Bob kill Mike, or we went out to dinner with Bob that night, or Mike was nowhere there, then all you have is conflicting testimonies, and it's all thrown out. All right? The Amru So now we're willing, ready to kill Reuven and Shimon based on Levin Yudah's testimony. Klomar. Reuven and Shimon will be killed based on the testimony of Levi and Yehuda. Even though, and he's addressing, directly addressing the problem the Gemara puts into Rav's mouth of Treu Trey. Why are we acting on the Edim Zomim and going as far as the ultimate penalty and the ultimate punishment if it's two versus two? Why? That's why. Because the testimony of Levin Yudah is not about the case. It's about Reuven and Shimon. They're not saying anything about the facts of the case. They're saying something about the facts of the testimony. We're not, not addressing that. All we're saying is you were with us in a different city at that time and unable to give testimony. So the Rambam here, in one fell swoop, very deftly uh, addresses the problem that's ascribed to Rava as being the difficulty of Edim Zomim. And as a result of that, um, as a result of that, explaining why it is that the halacha is that we believe Levin Yudah and will act as far as we need to on Reuven and Shimon. Because Levin Yudah are not disagreeing with Reuven and Shimon. They're not saying what you're saying is untrue. It might be true, but you couldn't have seen it. We're saying you cannot have testified to that. And in a sense, that's a more egregious statement. Because they're not saying you got the facts wrong. They're saying, you're clearly lying, you weren't even there. Okay. Now, um, that, of course, now puts Edim Zomim back into an area where it's easier to understand and seems to support Abaya's position, certainly according to the first version in the Gemara, that Eid Zomim the Mafreon saw because there's nothing weird about Edim Zomim. There's no chidush there. I want to take a look. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. I want to take a look with you at a Yerushalmi. 
passage in Yushami, you see source 9. We're going to stop here. And in the next shiur, we're going to pick up and do some uh, interesting uh, inquiries into the Rishonim, specifically about Abaye and Rava's Machloket. Halacha. Now here, this the, the uh, Yushami is picking up on Eina Enim Zomim Neragin Atzman. We saw that on the previous page, the Mishnah Makot, which is Enim Zomim are only uh, acted upon when they're mazim, they're themselves. Now, Amra Bizeira. Hada Amra, Eidzomim Enonifsal Bevetin, Ela Meatzmohunifsal. It's a strange line. And Eidzomim is not, is not invalidated in Beitin, but by himself. Patarla Bahatraya, right? Which means they're, they're explaining this strange line as being about Hatra'a, meaning the warning that you have to give uh, to somebody before they do an act, which is the only way. And we have to have testimony that they heard the warning, that what they're about to do, if it's wrong, is a crime, and there's a punishment with it, and here's the punishment, and they say, and anyways, I'm going to go do it. Vitani Cain, and by the way, we have a bright to support that. We saw that ourselves a little bit earlier. The Rabbi Yossi saw this in the Tosefta. The Rabbi Yossi said this is only true if there's two separate ediot. And two hatraot, two warnings. I mean, it sounds like anytime somebody comes to testify, we warn them and say, if you're lying, this could happen. And that's the line we saw in the Tosefta. If it is one testimony with one hatra'a, then once one part of it became invalid, the whole thing fell apart. What does that mean? Here we go. They were testifying that on, on the 10th of Nisan, they're testifying. He stole an ox on the 1st of Nisan. And they also, on the same testimony, said, and on the 5th of Nisan, they, he killed it or sold it. And then on the next day of the 11th of Nisan, Yura came up and said, Reuben and Shimon, you were with us on the on the first or on the on the on the uh on the fifth doesn't matter now notice how the Yushalmi says it any testimony they gave from the second of Nisan until the fifth of Nisan is now invalid why is this they're testifying on the tenth and they're saying he stole an ox on the first and he killed it on the fifth and then on the 11th, the day after they testified, their muzam, and pre- presumably their muzam about the, about the geneva. So now any testimony they gave from the 2nd until the 5th is invalid. Sounds like a bayah, but with a twist. Um, because really it should be only any testimony they gave from the 10th on should be invalid. Amarabi Bab Barmamel, Tipater Bimidin Allah Bekerach Echad Velet Shmaminaklum. Saying, no, 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 we're not talking about that. And there's just what we did in the Bavli. We're talking about a case where the whole testimony was all one shot, which means proved nothing. Which means that the same witnesses are the ones about Gneva and Tvicha If their first testimony is shot out, there's nothing, like we said in the Mishnah. But if they're shot down the second one, there's one testimony left. How does that work? If they're testifying at one shot, then you don't learn anything from that. It must have been that there were several eduyot, and that must be the case in the Mishnah, where the Hazamah was on part of it. Because that's the only way that this works. And now, rolling around, that's an explanation. And there's a very difficult piece here in the Yushalmi. That's the explanation for what Rabbi Zaira said that an Eid Zomem is not Nifsal and Beitim, rather, he's Nifsal Me'atzmo, meaning he's Nifsal because of his own words um, and, and identifying it as when he said those words, it's the Mafreya. The thing I want to point to you in this Yerushalmi is this Yerushalmi goes 100% like Abaye. It assumes absolutely that the invalidity of an Eid Zomem goes back to when he gave testimony, or perhaps even earlier. 
It may even go back to when he gave testimony about, because remember, on the 10th of Nisan, he said that on the 1st of Nisan, this guy stole it, and we said from the 2nd of Nisan, any testimony he gave is invalid, which is a bigger reach of Lamafreya. But it seems fairly clear that the Yerushalmi already had as a given the position that Abaye later espouses, which is that what we did over the course of the past 50 minutes was I introduced the concept of Edim Zomim. We spent some time with the Parsha of Edim Zomim in Source 2. And then we looked at three Mishnayot about Edim Zomim in Makot in Source 4. Um, and then we took a look at our Mishnah Bobakama about Edim giving testimony about the Geneva and about the Ficham Echira, and then which one of them becomes Muzam and how that impacts on payment. And then we saw the Tosefta that was somewhat parallel. And then we saw the opening piece of the Gemara with the famous Machloket Abayin Rava about Eid Zomeim Lemafreo Nifsal, Omikan Ulahaba Nifsal, and what the thinking is, and the challenge of the Gemara from our Mishnah to Abayin's position. And we defended it by saying, we're talking about a case where they gave it all as all one testimony, and there's no opportunity for Lemafreya. The minute there that they are proven to be Eidim Zomeim, it just knocks that whole Eidut out. But, uh, but there's not, not a second stage of it. It's all at one part. We, we concluded by looking at the Rambam's Perish Mishnayot and his explanation for why, indeed, we believe the second group, and thus sidestepping Rava's contention according to one version, which is that Eid Zomem is Chidushu, my Chazit Tzayit Lahani, Tzayit Lahani, why are you believing these two believe those two? The answer is that these two are not directly conflicting with each other, but rather, Levi and Yehuda are coming and testifying about Reuven and Shimon, not about Mike and Bob, and therefore we believe them. And we conclude by taking a look at a passage in Yerushalmi, a most mysterious passage and kind of opaque passage, uh, but uh, one that clearly was driven by an assumption of Abayah's position that Eid Zomem Lemafreya Hu Nifsal. We will pick this up in the next Shior. Uh, we'll continue with our study of Eidim Zomim and how it impacts on Geneva and Tvicha Mechira. And we'll take a look at a number of Rishonim on the topic uh, and f- further into the issue of Eid Zomim, the Mafreya Hunif Sal.